City Headquarters, I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Fair Podcast. Do you guys have anything to say to me? <laughs> Hi. Anything? Oh. Anything? I don't oh, know. I know what this is about. Anything? Um, happy belated happy... birthday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> That's so awesome. God, that was so nice of you guys. Anyone out there in Radioland, podcast <laughs> land, the address is 244 Fifth Avenue, 11th floor. I accept any gifts you'd like to send, but specifically magnums of wine. <laughs> if you would like to send them, it would be more than appreciated. It's been a hell of a year. Anyways, I appreciate that, you guys. Like, yeah. You guys like your birthday of as much course. as I like mine? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think it's possible for a grown-up to enjoy their birthday as much as you do. Oh, no. I think how they're joining us, too. It's, it's as I just learned from my colleague, Osette. It's called Big Cancer Energy. And oh. I'm like, we both have it. Osette's birthday is four days after mine. Mm-hmm. And she also loves her birthday. Yeah. I think it's a thing. Fair enough. Yeah. I feel like people have mixed feelings about Scorpios, so I kind of keep it to myself, you know? <laughs> keep my mouth shut. Keep it to myself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that people have feelings, what, what feelings people have about Capricorns, but I enjoy my birthday, but I don't make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do. <laughs> yeah. That's Naomi cool. told me. Naomi told me that she's just happy that we... We got my birthday down to a week instead of a month. Oh. <laughs> One of those. It wasn't really, but, you know, <laughs> sort of was. You definitely, were, you definitely, even on this podcast, like the moment that calendar flips to June, you're like, oh, it's all right. Month. It's great it's month. It's my time. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, uh, what have you both been drinking? I'll, I'll jump in. So the most uh, outstanding thing I had recently, actually, I went to a bar in Brooklyn called Bar Goto Niban, which was a recommendation from Adam. Okay, I'm giving you credit. It's a great bar. That's also where I went this week, but now it won't be my cocktail. Well, but continue. you knew I went. <laughs> I had a few cocktails. I think the best one I had was the Mr. Flores, which was tequila, chartreuse, shiso, and lime. That is the best one. That's what I had. So good. <laughs> But I also had the Paradisu, which was gin, lychee, bergamot, lemon, sparkling wine. That was also great. It's a really pretty space. Beautiful. They do, I mean, they do a really great job. Actually, I had another cocktail with shochu in it. It's like kind of making the rounds, I think, a little bit. Did you drink anything else, Joanna? Or no, just... I feel like that was the highlight of this week. <laughs> that was the highlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Zach? Uh, probably the highlight for me was actually, um, apropos a little bit of today's uh, conversation slightly, I went to an Italian wine trade tasting Um uh, this past week, cool. uh, featuring a lot of producers, um, including a number of them that don't currently have uh, distribution in Washington State. So, you know, it's kind of one of these, like, uh, they're looking for people who are interested in their wines and um, drank a lot of things, taste a lot of things. But um, a few of the sparkling wines really stood out to me. Uh, some delightful Prosecco, of course. But um, probably the single most interesting thing I had was a, um, a traditional method sparkling wine from Puglia um, called uh, the name of the wine uh, was Edmond Dantes. So like, you know, Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and it was a blend of Vermentino and Chardonnay that was, um, you know, like four years on Lees, um, totally dry, no dosage, really interesting wine, like definitely had some of the characteristics you would associate with a traditional method wine, but the Vermentino gave it like a saltiness and kind of a, a little bit of a different kind of fruit profile than just a Chardonnay or, or other kind of more classic champagne or sparkling wine varieties. And then the other thing I had that was super wild was a, a sparkling Cherosuolo. Um, which is, uh, Cherswell is usually like a rosé kind of slash maybe very light red wine. Um, and this was mm-hmm. made in a, like a, a tank fermented. So like a 
Prosecco style, like not super carbonated, not like Lee's aged, but just eff- you know, effervescent and it was really good. Like very refreshing, very summery. So that was cool. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. How about you, Adam? So um, besides going to Barcode on Ivan earlier in the week to do it like a, a meetup with Naomi and a few of her colleagues, uh, we went to one of my favorite restaurants in Brooklyn called Lorena Pastaficio. Mm-hmm. And I had a really cool wine from a Barolo producer that I had never heard of before called Vignetti di Umberto Fracassi Rati Mentone. It was a Brolo from Montoetto. And it was a 2014 and it was a really good, like, approachable price point Mm -hmm. and absolutely delicious. Never heard of the producer, not really familiar with the commune that it was from, like the little village it was from, like nothing. Um, but it was really delicious. And so that was definitely the highlight for me of the week. Uh, and then over the weekend, I also had my first daiquiris of the summer that I made. <laughs> so you do have a summer drink. I had a daiquiri. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. No, I was pretty proud of myself. Pretty proud of myself. Pretty delicious. Two parts rum, 0.75. Simple, 0.75. Lime, Screw you, Cocktail College. That's my ratio. <laughs> Which rum did you use? Uh, so, good question. I really like ten to one, and that's uh-huh. what I normally use. But I had another bottle open in ten to one; it was still sealed, and I was like, eh, "I'm not going to open this one too." So I used Equiano, mm-hmm. okay, which is a, is a nice rum as well. I also like Plantation Three Star. That's a great mm-hmm. one. Um, I'm not like one of these people that likes to split the rums. You know, I also feel like, come on, it's enough already. So I just have one rum, but, you know. I feel like you saying it's enough already is an interesting take. It's just, well, you know, like, I just, I don't have enough to, I, I like, certainly for me, I'm not a, I like rum agricole, but I'm not, people I think keep it on hand just for daiquiris and I didn't have one, so I'm not going to get one just to do that. Anyways, so this uh, this week's episode is a little bit, about sort of looking at what's happening in the world post-COVID with a prediction that it happened during COVID uh, that, Zach, you and I had sort of chatted about almost two years ago now. And that is that, you know, when COVID first happened, I think a lot of people felt like the future was going to mean that when we came out of COVID, we were going to sort of like wave goodbye to these huge wine, spirits, festivals, things like BCB or the trade tasting you went to or Vin Italy, things like that. We were going to say hello to the opportunity for there to be these, you know, intimate tastings happening between producers and either trader consumers over Zoom, right? Like the sort of the way that the narrative went was, oh, you know, it's going to save so much on fuel price, you know, fuel and flights and, you know, just all the travel. And it's going to be so much easier for people to do more of them. And the producer is going to get to just talk for 30 to 45 minutes. And isn't this going to be great? They don't have to leave their home and you don't have to leave your home. And, you know, this is going to be the future. And this is how people are going to, like, get to know new spirits, wines and beers Mm post-COVID. And, you know, we're not going to see as much attendance in these festivals. And I think that that was even the sort of thinking that some people had, even in the run-up to BCB, right? Like, I was hearing from a lot of people in New York, like, oh, we don't know who's going to attend. Like, we're we're wondering what it's going to look like, blah, 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 blah. And what we've seen is actually 
we just have snapped immediately back like a rubber band to what everything looked like prior to COVID, right? BCB was packed. They're saying they did record numbers. Right. Uh, you're seeing a massive run up to tails. You know, yeah. Vin Italy apparently was insane this year. Vin Expo, tons of people attended. You're, the, all the planning is happening for everything else that's to come. You know, Zach, you're seeing trade tastings happening in Seattle and mm-hmm. New York, et cetera. You know, everything has gone back to the way it was. And so I think what we want to chat about a little today is like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I'm like, why did it go back? That quickly. You had some people who were like so eager to embrace this new future, including the people that were even the producers of some of these things. That's interesting that we've snapped back so, so quickly and so hard to the past. Yeah. And so why do we think that is? What is there a true point to these festivals? And if so, what is the point? I think people were really like trying to find the silver lining in all of it by saying Mm -hmm. that. We'll continue to do this. It's a great opportunity for us to, you know, we can Zoom with so many more people. Like the commitment level mm-hmm. is very low. You don't have to go to Italy to learn about this. But I but I think ultimately the desire is there for people to be back in person. And I think we've seen that very clearly. Um, I also just think, uh, well, people have serious Zoom fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other part, I think, is that we've, for the most part, gone back to, like, everything else in our lives, like, for the most part. And it, we're busy. And I think, like, finding time to sit on Zoom for a few hours is just, like, not hap- not happening. Like, I'm too busy to do that. Like, if you want my attention, I have to, like, sit down with you or yeah. actually go to an event. Not to sound like a shithead or anything, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's just, you can have my attention a little bit better when I'm in person with you than sitting on a Zoom. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think that what we've also seen is like the limitations of virtual conferences, virtual tastings, all those kinds of things have just become more acute over the two plus years that they've been going on. And some of it is, I think what you said, Joanna, it's the fatigue. Some Mm -hmm. of it is the logistics. It's a lot easier in a certain sense for whether it's a a trade organization, a or any other a festival, whatever to say, we know how to do this thing that we've done before. We know how to find a space, how to set up, you know, ticketing, how to have booths, all that kind of stuff. We've we've done it. This is what we were founded around, and we're not going to, you know, flounder in the virtual space as a lot yeah. of places did. A lot of these expos and conferences and festivals that tried to move online some had real success some struggled it was a mixed bag for sure i also think that something that's true in all this and i think gets at what you were both saying is beyond just sort of zoom fatigue i think that the industry itself is maybe not unique in this regard but it is noteworthy that it's a a you know an interpersonal mm-hmm. Uh, industry that thrives on personal connections. And just the truth of it is, is you're never, well, maybe not never, but most of us are not going to feel as connected to someone that we've only ever looked at on a screen, as opposed to someone that we've shook hands with, talked to face to face, you know, been in a space with for some amount of time, had a meal with, et cetera. And so many things in this industry are founded on that interpersonal relationship, those connections that I can understand on all sides why returning to -to face-to-face was so alluring. What I am surprised by, and to the point that you were making, Adam, is that like nothing has changed. I find that the most surprising, that in my limited experience, I imagine in your experience to this point, 
everything you've done in the last six months has looked like it could have come out of 2019. I guess what would you have expected would have changed? I think that's a good question. I think I would have expected things to maybe be um, different scale, maybe smaller or more sectioned off or maybe just focused in a way. I, I think one of the one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is that I've always found a lot of these events to be kind of so big and so sprawling as to be not useless, but limited in their utility. And actually, a thing that was nice about this Italian trade tasting I was mentioning is that, you know, there were probably 100 wines in the room. I certainly didn't taste all of them, but I've been to others that have 500 wines, 1,000 wines. And those kinds of settings are or more. I mean, certainly some of the really big trade shows have maybe tens of thousands of wines. I'm not really sure. Wow. And the thing there is like, you just, you can't, you know, you're going to get lost if you're a producer and you're not a really well-known one. And if you're a tradesperson, a member of the media, et cetera, it's like you can barely scratch the surface. And yeah, I can say I went to this event and I tried some wines, but they're, you know, they're good for the thing I described. They're good for the socializing. They're good for the making connections. The, the dirty secret on my end is like they're really shitty for tasting wine or spirits. Like they're really bad for getting a handle on these things because at least for me as a buyer and things like that, I always relied solely or almost exclusively on, um, you know, tastings where I was in a, you know, sitting down, I could taste, you know, a dozen wines at a time at most, you know, have control over that. I wasn't getting wasted. I wasn't getting palate fatigued. I wasn't trying to, you know, juggle a bunch of other things. And these shows are just kind of, well, I guess for show. And it's surprising to me that everyone wants to dump the money into these that they have been dumping just because it's like what we've always done. So first of all, the reason that we have gone back to these in such a strong way is because, you know, as we know from psychology, like humans are just very social animals and I think there was just no way to truly feel social on Zoom. Yeah. Right? It's like it's why like we published the piece recently about people going back to in-person dating and, and how the and how dating feels better to a lot of people now than it did over, you know, during the pandemic. Some people were actually, you know, trying to date over Zoom. But I think, you know, exactly what you're saying is really interesting and why it's so interesting is because it creates that there's, there's this, like there seems to be this loop that we can't escape. Right. I think for the most part, especially, and I'm speaking now, I, I, I don't want to speak about as much about the portfolio tastings. So for, for those of us who are listening, I think there's two and may not have as much of a familiarity, especially with wine. There's two different kinds of sort of events that seem to happen, especially for trade, right? You have these larger uh, trade, I guess you would kind of almost call them festivals, right? BCB and Tails and Vindaloo, they almost feel like festivals, right? They're like, you know, Vinex, but they're huge behemoth trade shows. Mm -hmm. And then you have these portfolio tastings that are either put on by a region or a importer or whatever that you know, are supposed to be more focused, like it's, it's you know, the Italian Trade Association and it's only Italian producers from X different provinces or regions or whatever, but they are also big, but they're different, right? I think for the trade shows, those exist solely as bartender or SOM appreciation. Yeah, I think they're <laughs> most valuable for the networking opportunities, yes. right? And no one is going there to discover something new. And I think the problem is that, 
everyone is there to see their friends Mm -hmm. and the people who shine the most are the big brands that can wine and dine the people the best you know that have they invest a lot of money in their booths in their booths in their parties afterwards and in those cases i would say if you were a really small brand i would think twice about it Mm -hmm. like you know, maybe you do make that one great connection and there's someone there, but for the most part, like it is hard to compete against the large producers. It's hard to go to Vin Italy and compete against a, a very well known sparkling producer who has the largest fucking bottle of sparkling wine known to man pouring out of a <laughs> machine they've built in order to pour it into a glass. Do you know what I mean? Like no one is there looking for like the diamond in the rough. Maybe, maybe one person is okay. So I don't want to say no one, but most people are there because like it is a meetup where you see all your friends and you reconnect and you're going to go see the producers that you already love and you already know, you know, because you don't have enough time. And so like, you know, you go and you get to meet up with them and you, you share a glass with them and you say hi and you do your thing. And like, that's your connection. And I think for, that reason that is why you did see festivals like raw wine come into existence because there were people that were like okay well how do we stand out we're not going to go to these places okay well like then let's define ourselves as being a natural producer and let's go to this but now those have gotten huge and you hear people saying the same thing about these that now it's too many producers and i don't know how you how you truly fix it because the the trade show is always going to want to make as much money as possible right you know, this is capitalism. It's the system we have. And so they're not going to turn down the small producer from coming, right? And so if the small producer hears that everyone goes to Vin Expo or everyone goes to BCB or everyone goes to Chelsea or everyone goes to Raw and they think they fit into that category and that, that the demographic people they want to sell to, be known by, et cetera, is going to be there, then they're going to say, well, we want to be there too. Mm-hmm. And so it just gets bigger. And, and so they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the only way I think you stand out then if you're a small producer is you got to go really big then. Right. You have to build the really nice booth. You got you got to blow budget. Like I felt so bad for some of these producers at BCB that had the small tables that were just like, you know, they they paid clearly what, what they could afford to be there. And I watched everyone walk right by them because yeah. it's, you know, then they're just at the tiny table. And again, I'm sure that there's some producers say I had a few meaningful conversations and I feel good about it and whatever. And that's great. And, you know, I, I don't mean to say you get nothing out of it that way, but it is really hard to get overshadowed. And you look at that even when you come to consumer festivals, you see these huge food festivals where like the bigger wine regions or wine companies or spirits companies have the huge booths in the main sort of like tasting area. And then there's like the wine and spirits tent. And it's all the small producers with little tables where people like don't even care. They're like, can you put this in my glass, please? Can you put this in my glass, please? And they're shoving their glass in your face and they're not remembering anything and again i don't know how you solve for that because every brand will then measure success differently right like well we still tasted three thousand people okay but like and and those things are they're so hard to track right and like every festival will try to say well we're, we're coming with a new system where there's a barcode they can scan you can scan and you can like follow up with them and yada 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 but like it's really really difficult and the problem is and I think why there will never be a solution to this is what Joanna said at the beginning of the of the podcast, which is that she's too busy <laughs> and that she, you know, doesn't have a lot of time to sit on Zoom. And if you're going to get her attention, it needs to be in person. And guess what? Joanna is not able to go to every single small intimate tasting every night of the week. So if there's a few 
that are big, those are the ones that she can go to. Right. The Louis to, the 13th one, for example. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're you know. <laughs> I made an exception. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, those are – I think that's the other problem is, like, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, but there's just so much liquid yeah. in the world. Yeah. And there's so many brands that are trying to be found and, you know, want to be known and need a, a specific audience they're going for. And it just is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you make a really a good series of points there, both of you. And I think that thing about just everyone, whether they're a wine buyer, a, you know, a beverage director for a restaurant company, they're, a, you know, editor in chief at a publication, et cetera. Like their time is precious. You're never going to get to taste everything. You're never going to get to face to face with everyone. And so things that might get you in the door, people are going to gravitate to those, to, to those kinds of things, even if they aren't. They don't provide a great return on investment, potentially, or a very hard to yeah. measure return on investment. But the thing that is interesting to me, and that I guess I'm curious about is like kind of almost what we were just talking about. I will say that on the occasions where I have been invited to more just smaller events, right, not necessarily just one producer, but hey, here are, you know, like, um, I've been to a number uh, here in Seattle that are like, you know, 15 producers, 10 producers, it's not as big a deal. You feel like you really get a chance because, you know, part of it for me too is not even just that I want to go taste the same wines over and over again. I mean, I always liked to some extent seeking out new things at, at trade tastings or or big festivals. But even then, there's just so much that it's daunting even as a, as a professional, even if you don't care about socializing, which, you know, like I obviously do. I wonder too if like, I guess this is, yeah, the, my, my thing is like, I thought we might see smaller tastings or more frankly like more geographically diverse tastings because i thought that was another thing that was that we was is sad to lose out of the sort of zoom era which was like i think we heard from a lot i certainly heard from lots of professionals and just interested consumers around the country around the world who got to tune in on things participate in things hear from producers that they would not ever have in their you know in their city in their town whatever because like they're not close to New York. They're not close mm-hmm. to San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, Chicago, even Seattle. And that, you know, it, it was nice to think in that period of time that, you know, these producers, these trade organizations, these regions were interested in speaking to interested professionals, consumers, wherever the fuck they were, because it didn't matter in Zoom. And now all of a sudden right. it's like, okay, wait, but we're back to the same markets, the same approach that, frankly, we talked about on the podcast a bunch, you know, really do ignore lots it's, of potential it's customers. Limited. Yeah. But can I ask you a question? Of course. About these small tastings mm-hmm. that you've been to. Out of them, did you know any of the producers that were going to be there? Or were you already somewhat familiar with the region or the importer, et cetera? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't think I go into any of these things like totally blind. Right. Because I think that that's where the real problem lies is for the like what makes some of these things so unwieldy is that I think there's a lot of small tastings that do happen, like you're talking about, that, that do get well attended when, like, like let's, let's say, for example, like there's a a 10 winery tasting of the wines of Abruzzo, and everyone knows that, you know, Pepe's going to be there. So, yeah. like, it gets a good turnout. And then the other wine, nine, nine wines that, they, that, you know, just get a, a little love because everyone wants to go for them, right? Yeah. But they, they keep it intimate. Where it gets really hard is when it's like 10 wineries you've never heard of from Georgia. And 
it's like, okay, well, like, is it going to, like, am I going to like these? Am I not going to like them? Not really sure. Like, is this a waste of my night? And those, that's when those wineries then say, well, then screw it. We have to go to pro wine or, you know, yeah. these, these, and, and, and that's when it gets huge, you know, it gets so big and just overwhelming for everyone. And, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is, but I have seen some creative things happening this summer that I think have been very smart that I, I wish other producers would do. One of the things I've seen that one like sort of PR firm did, which I was like, wow, this is brilliant. Is they put out an email to everyone on their list and basically said, if you are in France, Italy or Spain this summer for your own vacation, these are our producers. They would love to host you mm. for a lunch, a dinner or a night at their property. Like that's nice. They would love to. And they said they don't, they will host as many of you as they can given availability. Right. And I was like, that is really fucking smart because you're probably already there for your vacation. Right. If you're in our profession, you probably like to do this stuff anyways. You know, they're letting you know that they're here, are their clients. I'm like, Hey, if you want to go hang out at a rail hop producer for the day, have dinner with them and stay the night, they'd be more than happy to, t- to host you. It's costing them nothing besides the dinner and, and I don't know, a, a room in their home probably. <laughs> and, they didn't pay for you to get over there. I, I feel like I should, it'd be cool if you saw more producers do that. Like, look, this is we understand, especially during the really busy time travel times of the year. Like, we know that people in the industry are going to be traveling. If you happen to be in our country of Croatia, Georgia, Greece, et cetera, like, we are happy to host you. I think that would be one thing. And, and then the other thing I've seen a few producers do recently that I thought was all smart is like, hey, we are on the list at X restaurant for the next month. We would... You know, if you go into that restaurant, we would love to cover your bill as long as you have our product. We'll send you information and then just send us the receipt. I think that's also really smart, right? Because it's like, cool, someone will... Something you're already doing, right? Right, you're already going to go out to dinner, Mm -hmm. so fine. I'll make the reservation for two. And like with, you know, again, it's within reason. It's it's asking people to be uh, smart about things, right? Mm -hmm. So like, they're not going to cover a $1,000 bill at the restaurant. But like, look... No caviar bumps. Right. No. But if you, you know, if you go and you have their bottle of wine or their cocktail and, you know, some appetizers or whatever, again, like that's an easy thing. They send you some literature and you actually appreciate their drink. Like I thought that was also something that was really creative. I think those are the things that hopefully people will do more of post COVID is like also realize that then they could just jump on zoom with you for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, yeah. we're asking you to like go eat at this restaurant that where our liquid is on the menu. And then all we're asking is in order to cover your bill, we're going to get on a zoom with you for 15 minutes and talk to you really quickly about the wine or about the spirit or whatever. Super smart. Like yeah. that, that stuff that can stay. I think what no one wants to stay from COVID we're all sick of is like, those zooms where we were told like, "Hey, will you will you join this tasting?" We promise only an hour, and then it's three hours long. <laughs> like, you know, we're like, no one has time to open the seven bottles of wine that were sent to them. Then also, like, what are they doing? They're dumping those wines. Like, right. it's so much waste. And I feel like that's where people are just like, "I can't do this anymore. I yeah. don't want to do it anymore. It's it's too much." I think also, you mentioned this earlier, Adam. Like these things make too much money, too. For oh yeah, for the people who host them to not do them anymore, full scale. Yeah, I have probably the best experience out of all the big wine festivals within Italy. I mean, the amount of money that's made for the city of Verona sure. during the week that the Italy ha- happens is just too impressive to not continue to do. The amount of high end dinners that are hosted, hotels that are booked, you know 
parties that are thrown. It's car services that are used. I mean, it's it's a massive support to the city. The same thing happens in Dusseldorf, right? That's where Provine is, right? Yeah, I've never been to Provine, although I heard it's really good. Uh, you know, that's what happens. Invite us, please, people. <laughs> he wants but to invite us, please. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to go to Provine. I'm so curious. Everyone says it's like the best because it's extremely organized. <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, it's, ger- it's German, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the reason that Tails exists in the time that it does is because Tails gets support from the tourism board of New Orleans because late July is when no one wants to go to New Orleans because it's god-awfully hot, but every bartender goes, and so the city gets filled with people who are then spending money and going out. So it's, yeah, it's hard to stop these things. They're they're large money makers for everybody, and I think the thing... That's worth remembering, though, for the small producers is that the large producers are always going to participate because the bartender songs that are always going to go because it's a networking session. But if you're a really small producer, that's where I would start questioning, like, is it worth it? But isn't it your best shot, kind of? Isn't that what we're saying? Yeah, it might be. It might be. I mean, yeah. that, that you know, but then you better, I guess then the only thing you have to think about is that you better not think that's the only thing you can do. You right. better realize sure. that, like, that means lots of follow up. That means potentially doing the other things, inviting the people then to your place down the road, maybe hosting them for a dinner, but trying to make that connection and really following up. I guess the thing that I see that gets assumed too much by a lot of these producers is that all they have to do is pour the liquid in your glass. And I wonder if you've seen that too, Zach, but I feel like that happens all the time where they think that like all they have to do is pour the liquid Liquid in. Liquid sells itself, yeah. And then that you will follow up. And it's so rare. I give my card to every person who asks for it. And it's very rare that I ever get a follow-up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm like, well, th- that's that's the game. The yeah. whole game is the follow-up. And yeah. if you follow up, then yeah, do these. Because you will talk to the 3,000 people. But then you have to actually go and talk to them again. And look, you know, Naomi tells me she sees this all the time in publishing too. Like, you know, she's been in publishing her entire career. And like a lot of writers who think, I wrote the book. I got it published. Now it's going to sell itself. Right. And Naomi's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Like you wrote the book. It went to a publisher. And now you need to tour the book. You need to be on Twitter. You need to be on Instagram. You need to be doing live readings, Zoom readings. Like you need to promote this book for a good full calendar year if you actually want to sell it to get a second book deal. Mm-hmm. And so many produ- you know, so many writers don't because they think that they've done the work. And I think that does happen a lot in alcohol too where especially with the producers we love to romanticize like the indie producers. It's like I harvested the grapes. I crushed them. I vin- them. I fucking aged this thing. I bottled it. I did it all and I'm yeah. done. And I poured it in your glass and like, you're now supposed to come to me. You're supposed to love it that much. And like, no, you kind of got to keep chasing because there's too many other people who are also pouring this liquid in, in that same Psalm or bartender, you know, restaurateur, et cetera, glass. And they are going to go with the people that keep following up with them. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, this was really interesting. Thanks again, guys, for my happy birthday wishes. <laughs> Always. We look forward to dedicating an entire podcast to what your birthday was like next time. Yes. Oh, that's going to be next week, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, just, how about we just do a podcast in honor of Adam? Sure. You didn't die. Dude, this, I mean, come on. Whatever you want, This Adam. is for sure going to be a comment. Someone's going to leave a, a comment on like the on iTunes being like, oh, I really love guy. the Vine Pair podcast, <laughs> but Adam is so annoying and he's obsessed with his birthday. And you know what, hater? bring it anyways i uh i uh, have had a great conversation with you guys as always talk to you friday talk to you friday sounds great 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.